Dino Berry, Sean Moriarty, Gina Giovanetti, and Brian Moriarty. Okie dokie, folks. So, how is sorry. everybody? Sorry. Sorry, I sorry I I had couldn't make the last podcast, guys. Yeah, Sean, your life's getting a little too cray cray right now. Yeah, so yeah, with all the new changes to my life that I talked about two episodes ago, uh, I also picked up another podcast <laughs> with some guys in town called The Whiskey Reel, and I double booked myself for a Sunday because it's the only day where I actually have a life and I'm not just glued to a computer or serving drinks to people. Yeah, that's fair. So you, what you, I mean, you mentioned that you're back to bartending on uh, yeah, just on the a side. couple nights a week, and uh, but I'm bartending in a fine dining restaurant that's all about oh. wine, and so it's very different than the like turn and burn just like pouring thousands of beers for people it's it's craft mm. cocktails and it's it's a lot of wine knowledge and i don't know much about wine but i'm learning uh the tasting is very similar to tasting beer with the flavor profiles and how to describe it um it's just a different world and there's so uh the people that i work with are so crazy uh like uh, like half of them are sommeliers and i'm like oh, wow. uh yeah that's insane that's crazy i thought being a sommelier was something that was really, really hard to accomplish and that there weren't that many of them. It, but it, it is. It is. Okay. A couple of them had to take the tests a few times and they're not cheap. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's insane. It's like getting a master's degree in wine. In wine? <laughs> yeah. Basically. I mean, these really people is. are to the point where they can just taste it and they can narrow it down to not only a region, but they like parts of the regions depending on climate and things. That is insane. Yeah. It's yeah. like those three-star Michelin chefs who like you can give them something. And they can identify every single spice that you used oh in that item. God. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that and most of them smoke a lot of cigarettes. So the idea that they can do that with like a ruined palate still—that's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Just bonkers. Are they all like super tasters? Are they all the kind that like if you give them the litmus paper, they can taste it? Maybe no. A lot. A lot of them. Okay. Like the Depends people who have like they were twice trained. this taste bud, you mean? That are... Yeah, well, I mean, there's also like, it's one of those things that I learned about in like taking genetics in like middle school was like, okay, there's certain things that, that are traits that carry over things like hitchhiker's thumbs or like a widow's peak or crooked pinkies or like one of those things is being a super taster. And one of the things that they gave us to test was these little pieces of lit of litmus paper. And so you'd put mm-hmm. it on your tongue and I didn't taste anything, but like 25 to 50% of the class, all of a sudden they started like gagging and I mean, it wasn't that bad. I think what what it would taste like is, you know, it tastes like vinegar or something, yeah. but it's it's they could taste it. I couldn't. And I think a lot of those same people are the people who are like really sensitive to cilantro or they feel like cilantro yeah. tastes like soap. Right. Um, yep, there's right. People, yeah. The palates are very different because they're uh, we did an off flavor tasting thing for beer where mm-hmm. they send you these kits of these little things that you that you inoculate like you drop you put little drops in beer so that you can synthesize like off flavors, flavors that are a problem so that you know, you know, if a beer is bad or, or what may have happened to it. Mm-hmm. And half of us could totally taste diacetyl and smell it, which is where you get like a buttery popcorn kind of flavor oh, in your beer. And that's usually when they take the yeast off of it too early. They don't let it do its. They don't let the yeast stay and, and do everything it needs to do. And then there's another one that's like a cooked vegetable flavor called DMS. And I can't taste that one. Hmm. Interesting. It's weird. Yeah. Mom's cooking has ruined your ability to taste cooked vegetables. No, I'm kidding. That has nothing to do with it whatsoever. Nerds Mom's on food, a great cook, you piece of gentlemen. shit. Yeah. No, it's true. Mom uh. was, no, but you know, mom's canned vegetables, I mean, that was her cooked vegetables. It was essentially, you know, Del Monte, eh. open can, put into pot, heat cook. up, heat up. Um, hey, so, man, sometimes that's what you got to do. I guess so. Uh, well, I'm glad to hear that you're doing all right, despite the fact that, you know, your life is 
a little chaotic. It's just crazy busy. Yeah, I just bought my wedding ring yesterday. Oh, aren't Ooh. you fancy? Yeah, fancy boy over it's getting here. Getting down to it. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty awesome. Um, and you know, we just got the well. Vanessa's inheriting uh, our her wedding ring, but Aww. we we had to get some adjustments made to it because it was a hair too big. Mm-hmm. So we're getting a sizer put in and some of the clasps redone on the gems on the edges. So. It's just, it's getting down to it. Like it, for most people, it's just like, oh my God, now it's real. And for me, it's just like, eh, okay, cool. I got this. Oh, oh, wonderful. You didn't have like crippling stress problems during your wedding. Great. <laughs> Too bad every fucking buddy else did. No, I, I have 16 <laughs> new gray hairs I, I and, have another, getting... and another ring on my cock after my wedding. You didn't realize that, that the men yeah. age in rings down there. Sean, place. I'm getting stressed <laughs> from other things about the wedding other than that like the guest list which we won't talk about we'll talk about off the mic Mm, um that's fair let's just say dad and i had words yesterday so um in the way that we usually have words which no because we're irish usually involves you know emotional triggering jabs to each other i'm italian i feel it's a a lot of the same just with more hand motions exactly yeah ours is more lyrical because we're irish i guess (laughs) So I'm guessing, okay, just based on what happened with my wedding, I'm guessing he's like, so how many of just my friends from work and stuff can I invite to your wedding? Basically, right? yeah. And he told me, he told us like literally at the last possible moment before we could well, order this is invitations. The thing. And, he, and this Brian, is a man who Brian, spent his entire Brian. life getting on my case for waiting until the last minute on shit. <laughs> Brian. Oh, yeah. Just let him do it because I, he, I like, did. I, I, yeah, I buckled and was like, fine, invite all of them. And guess what? None of them came, but they all sent checks, which was great. That's what that's what Dad was trying to sell me on. It's like they're probably not going to make it, but you're going to no, get really, money. They did. They're not going. Oh well, actually, a Anita lot and Janet might make you. it. I'll, I'll, actually, they will because it's in the Bay Area. Mine was in Vegas. Yeah, in yeah. September. Y- yeah, yours seemed like it was a little, little more of an excursion. But John. there's a few people who probably won't. I mean, Dad, he was very honest. He said they're probably like they may already have vacations planned, but. Um, mm. And these names are people of people who you don't need yeah, to know, it's audience. It's getting down to the wire, though. My wife keeps telling me, uh, hey, is Brian getting married? Because we don't have a fucking invitation yet. Yeah, well, we are doing it, but we also, we sent saved the dates out. and the dates. We have this app that we're using called Zola, and it gives you a checklist of, like, when things are getting done. And they say March. You send save the dates, you're... like, a year before, and then you send the invitations, like, six months before. Okay, hold on. So, I'm sorry. I didn't realize we were getting married in 1925. <laughs> um, Zola... <laughs> so, uh, so, Did you have to say that shit to mom too? And mom, when mom mom has a very traditional yeah, and so does dad. Weddings should be, and she's like, "What do you mean you don't have like everybody sat at different tables? Like you don't exactly have places yeah. for them." And I was like, "Cause fuck that, just everybody will get together. There's like a whole extra two tables." Yeah, listeners, find. listeners, Brett will get this because he got married in like the last couple of years. But there's a huge generational like divide between yeah. the baby boomers who are our parents and. Us, the Xennials, uh, who are trying to get married, and like, there's very clearly like signs of, of a, of a, of friction based on the way we choose to do things. Because now we're in an age where you don't need to send invitations six months in advance. You can send a save to date six months in advance. You can send an invitation two to three months before the wedding, and just but you just need to hear back a month because it's all electronic now. Well, know? I even I even had some friends who they got engaged in August and then they got married in February. So they didn't even send save the dates. They just sent out invites. They were like, we're getting married within six months of our engagement. Why are we like wasting money on save the dates? And they like, it was a cute like Lego themed save the yeah. date. And like, she's just like, listen, I spent time trying to put all of these Legos together. So I'm going to post it on Facebook, but nobody's actually getting one mailed to 
them. <laughs> right. Yeah. So and we didn't even like we didn't even have an engagement party. That was that, and that's crazy to the to the baby boomers that you don't have an engagement party. Well, it's like what the fuck? I got engaged and then didn't get married for a little over two years after I got engaged. Well, I thought it was funny because a bunch of my cousins got married, and my mom at one point, like we were getting invited to like engagement parties, and my mom was like, "I don't understand why all of your cousins need engagement parties. You're already having a wedding. They're all gonna have bridal showers and things. An engagement party is just like a." another grab for presents. And then fast forward to a couple years later when my sister gets engaged and my we never actually ended up get, being able to get one together because my sister lives out of state. But yeah. then like my mom was just like, oh, well, I'd love to throw an engagement party for Teresa and Kyle. And I was like, listen up, mom. Let me just repeat back to you what you said five years ago, bagging on my cousins. So- Hang on a second. <laughs> Let me pull up my voice memos app and hit, hit the play button. <laughs> <laughs> from a few moments how's it, ago. How's it feel, Mom? Let me call out the hypocrisy. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. No kidding, right? <laughs> this is where it all comes out. Um, so, so, yeah, speaking, growing pains. Speaking of, yeah, speaking of growing so, so pains what a, what, what, and marriage. What a great topic to lead into when we're going to talk about... Things that are problematic. Things that are problematic, right? <laughs> <laughs> On that note, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nerds on Film. I am Brian Moriarty. I'm Gina Giovanetti. And I'm Sean Moriarty. So what do we mean when we say problematic? So... Things that are probably because it so, sounds very general. Yeah, so I got a problem, motherfucker. <laughs> so we we talked a little, you know, several episodes ago. We had our our conversation about people like Harvey Weinstein and everybody who would take advantage of women or other people in the industry, and how that in itself is problematic. Today yeah. we're going to be kind of talking about how to kind of reconcile with still. How do, how do we enjoy things that are still problematic in some way? And a lot of this conversation was brought on by, uh, very recently, the new trailer for the upcoming Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them movie came out. And I've had a lot, like, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. One of my first episodes on this podcast was a Harry Potter episode. And so... Um, like this was this was something that's been super hard for me to grapple with because a lot of the fans of Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts and you know Harry Potter itself is a story about how someone who grew up with a very abusive childhood kind of grew up to become something so much greater than that and a lot of us who are fans of this series and who are fans of this you know fandom excuse my using that term. Um, well, you could be a fan of we fandom. Are, yeah, I think a, yeah, you know, being a fan of this, of yeah, this fan of this general uh, thing. Um, we, there's a certain level of like, we don't like it that Johnny Depp was cast in this series as kind of a, a regular. Yeah, he had a little bit part in the first one, which kind of made it a little easier to swallow. But the fact that he not only is getting a bigger role in the second one, but also I think the bigger problem is that his casting was then endorsed by J.K. Rowling is something that a lot of us have a big problem with. And, you know, part of me really still wants to go see this Fantastic Beasts movie, but then part of me is also so really struggling with this casting choice and so and you know the and Johnny creator Depp is no stranger behind to it. this right with well, the Lone Ranger where he was cast as Tonto I'm like yeah. what is it about Johnny Depp and and controversial casting choices yeah and you know part of you know part of it is you know a lot of us don't like that you know he as an abuser or you know at least an alleged abuser has been cast within this realm of what's supposed to be a very uplifting story about how people can kind of overcome these tribulations that are in their past and for something that's become such a help for people growing up 
they don't like that they are then looking at a screen with and then their money is supporting an abuser. Um, and so that's just one of many things out there. The other thing is, you know, well, a lot of people I know their favorite show was House of Cards. And so how are they, you know, supposed to enjoy it now with all of the shit with Kevin Spacey going on? Um, things like that. It's not only this, how do we enjoy these things that are still problematic, but then also, are we allowed to still enjoy yeah, that's them? That's a, and it's a great, those are great, two great examples because Johnny Depp. Uh, is the villain in Fantastic Beasts 2, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Frank Underwood in House of Cards is likely one of the biggest pieces of shit ever, ever in <laughs> any kind of medium. Like, just this character is so evil at, a, at his core. So is it easier to... Is it easier if you could just... If you're supposed to hate them anyway? Or, or are we... Like, is it really the, the, the fact that money's going to these people to pay well i mean think of it this way too you know using giant Depp as the exact same example mm-hmm. uh the original pirates of the caribbean movie is still on netflix you know mm-hmm. every time you watch something on netflix the people in that movie are getting a royalty mm-hmm. you know so there is that moral question of well me enjoying this property still ends up benefiting a person who i don't support right and yeah. so at the end of the day do we just kind of use a certain level of cognitive dissonance and like you yeah. know, try to separate ourselves from it, or it also depends is it on something the time. that we do kind of have to. Face? This is such a this the movements that are going on right now, and how everything is so much in the spotlight. And I mean, shit that had been going on for you know a hundred years, but that we are now seeing happen right now. It's fresh. It's like a fresh wound. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I mean, because like I have said before, when you step out of this time and you look at it from like a five thousand foot view, and you go, if we knew everything about every single athlete every single movie star every single musician and had we'd likely have problems with a lot of the choices that they've made or the way that they think about things or things that they've done and w- there wouldn't be anything yeah i actually like i remember watching or listening to a very snarky review of the academy awards this year and they were talking about how kobe bryant now has an oscar and how everyone was like giving him applause mm-hmm. and you know how this is all about the me too movement and the time's up movement this year and yet they forget that Kobe Bryant was alleged uh, a rape alleged of rape a few yeah. years ago. So it's like they, you know, the memories of some of these people are very short. Is what and in that case, right. if you've thing. read the details of that case, the case went that case came. <laughs> the charges were filed against him. He said, "All right, it's obvious that you want money. I'll give you this much money," and they took it and ran. So. You have to you have to always remember without knowing the details of each one of these, and I've said this before. There are so many people that deserve the the shit end of the stick that they're getting right now for the horrible things that they've done. But along the way, there are going to be people who are being extorted, essentially, and mm-hmm. it's tough to know who those people are. So that's why we have to have this stance that you have to take the victim's word for it. Yeah, uh, until you have finite proof that. It went the other way. Well, I think it calls into attention a couple of uncomfortable questions that we have to ask ourselves. And it's not so much about, I mean, yes, it is very much about the moral quandary of can you separate art from artists, which we've had a conversation about in the past, Mm -hmm. but separating art from artists, but also the conversation of call-out culture, Mm -hmm. right? You know, the whole left wing of this country, I mean, the right wing too. I shouldn't, let me take that back. I shouldn't single out one side of the political spectrum here. Our culture in general now is very much in this place of, we are very quick to point out hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. We are very quick to call out anybody behaving badly Mm -hmm. without asking a lot of questions. Mm 
without uh, without thinking about, you know, maybe there's some there's information we don't know either. And then again, that, that is not to say I'm defending any of the people mm-hmm. who are quick to call mm-hmm. out any of because obviously good has come from it. Right. You know, yep. but there is a toxicity to call out culture and it, mm-hmm. it is becoming an increasingly toxic uh, entity. Right. On the Internet. Right. And I think I think the the issue with call out culture or not the issue, but like the reason call out culture is so big is that a lot of us have grown up in an era where unless we're very overt and very big and very loud about calling out the problems with these things, we don't feel like we're getting heard. And so mm-hmm. I feel like that's why call out culture is such a big deal. But I think because it is something that's so new and there are so many people that, you know, this is a new concept to them. Like even, you know, people my age or friends of mine or even people that are, you know, a little bit younger than me are people that kind, you know, I'm going to use the term feminist as example. For the longest time, these are people that kind of shied away from calling themselves feminist because feminists mm-hmm. now had, or at the time, feminist had like a worse connotation. But now they it's like, do, oh, it but... does. But like, that's the thing though. But now I have so many more people who are like proud to call themselves a feminist, but, you know, because it's not necessarily something that they've been a part of for a good chunk of their life. It's still very like white feminism and they're kind of not necessarily knowing how to navigate the idea of like intersectional feminism. And it's very easy to like call out something and yell, you know, down with the patriarchy. But then it's also like, well, look at all of the other things. And so. Yep. And we're coming. We're also coming from like that. The feminism example and the terminology and the stigma with the terminology also feeds into how we when we grew up, it was a don't be a tattletale fucking culture. And that had been going yeah. on for years and years and years. So you have all these suppressed feelings, people feeling like they can't say that they're feminist, people feeling like they can't call attention to stuff because they don't want to be a tattletale because it was something that has yeah. been passed on as some bullshit fucking societal societal norm. Uh Th- that builds it's like a fucking volcano of lava building up is what you, why we're seeing why it's such a strong response yeah. now and i and think that yeah it's probably it's warranted at this point think about how long people were silenced and i think the truth is somewhere in between right you mm-hmm. know yes it's true we've had the pendulum one way for so long for mind your own goddamn business to yeah. now oh you did something wrong i'm gonna call you out for it and it's swung so far that we're now trying to find that that equilibrium in the middle of okay when do we call out stuff how do we call it out in a way that's actually constructive and productive mm-hmm. um and believe me i'm all for calling people out on their bullshit like i really really am i do not mince words with anybody on the inter- internet <laughs> uh when it comes <laughs> no, to that he kind does of not. stuff um but nevertheless like i'm also coming at it from a person who and this is my own obliviousness too is like i never actually mean any of the narrative that comes along with me i mean i unfortunately carry the narrative of being a heteronormative mm-hmm. white male and I just think of myself as a person. And so when I call somebody out or I say something, I don't think of it as me coming off as, oh, I'm being a guy or, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, or I'm reinforcing sexism or I'm doing any of these things uh, or vice versa for that matter. Uh, it's just me being me and trying to do what I think is the right, right. thing. And there's also that idea of like, yes, we have had that establishment of the, you know, for lack of a better term, the white heteronormative middle class male voice kind of being the normative that has been like our our normal quote unquote narrative um but that it doesn't mean that like those narratives don't mean anything either yeah. like yes this was the established norm for a while but that doesn't mean we're going into an era where their voices should be completely disregarded either it's just <laughs> we should make the effort to hear 
all of the other voices as that's well. so true um, and, but the yeah. reactionary the reaction is constantly like oh now i my way of life and my thoughts are are being threatened and they're, they're not right that's, and that's yeah. right and that's, that's that's a hard thing to grapple with because it's yeah. you know everyone's voices do contribute everyone's voices do mean something that's why we're able to get people like um like terry cruz or even um people like brendan fraser i read it a, a really interesting fraser fraser it's fraser <laughs> Sorry, 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 sorry. He gets very uptight about that. That's why I'm just no, emulating Brendan Fraser's Brendan Fraser. opinion. I, I read an article really recently <laughs> that part of the reason he he's kind of been out of the spotlight for so long is because there was a certain level of him kind of being very objectified that he wasn't quite jiving with. And so even the voices of white heterosexual males are still valid. It's just we need to make the effort to make everyone else's voices just as valid. Yeah, and yeah. it's very true. And I think, I mean, I really wish that Roxy was here because... Oh, God, I know. I know, because her psychological training, I think, really, really would help out mm-hmm. with this. But I feel like a lot of this is... A lot of the reason why there's resistance to it is a subconscious feeling of shame. Because if they admit to hearing the other side or admit to anything where they've messed up, Mm -hmm. they think that they are going to get the same treatment that they've been given Mm -hmm. reflected back on them. Right. Like Mm -hmm. we're not going to hear the voices of women, for example, because we're afraid that, you know, we've silenced them for centuries. They're just going to silence us right back. Mm -hmm. And the whole eye for an eye kind of code of the hammer rabbi logic (laughs) of, uh, which I mean, unfortunately is very still, I mean, we'd like to think that maybe, you know, the, the first law in our civilization that was 5,000 plus years old. No, we, I'd like to think we've evolved past that logic, mm-hmm. but we haven't. And there's a lot of people yes. who still yes. use but that as Unfortunately, the society world. is not like an operating system where you can just fix the issues and the bugs with a quick update with everybody. It's slow and mm-hmm. people are... I mean, we've seen how popular nostalgia is to market to people. That comes, I think, from a deeper primal thing that we all have in ourselves where tradition, some people just get so fucking attached to tradition and the way things were. And like, even, and I, it's controversial to say this, and I'm sorry if I lose any of our slightly more conservative people, but the fucking constitution, when you're like, Oh, we got to adhere to this 200 year old fucking document. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. why? (laughs) I mean, we have to be able to change things. Yeah, I mean, the simple argument for that is if we have to, if we see the Constitution as rigid and unchanging, why on earth would the framers of the Constitution develop a method for changing it? Yeah, right. right. And they also, even they themselves even said, like, we should not be clung to this for any longer than about a period of 20 years. Like, they said, like, we should be constantly reevaluating the validity of it, you know? Um, and sure enough, you know, that's why we've been able to progress forward, right? You know, if we didn't amend the Constitution because we, we thought that women would have rights, it's implied mm-hmm. man <laughs> is the terming of mankind, not man as in guys with, you no know, those with penises. Um, it's it, not? Yeah, it's, <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, we wouldn't have had the 19th Amendment, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, sometimes we gotta fucking spell it out for you, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it, and it's, it's much for the edification of the people who have been silenced as it is for just the pursuit of justice mm-hmm. too you know it's we, uh, i don't know if you guys have been watching adam ruins everything at all i've seen a little but bit i've been of binging it. it on true tv i love that show 
<laughs> and so I just watched recently watched Adam Ruins the Suburbs, and that's a that was a show that I think every white person oh, needs did to he, watch. Did, did he finally tell everybody that that it was just a ploy to get huge sales in the auto industry? Have well, an urban sprawl, make them drive and buy gas and buy cars. Not just that. I mean, there's that, but there was also <laughs> Levitt when he built Levittown was pretty racist he's like i don't want black people living here so Uh they so he was outright said that in when they're and then also i mean this goes back to fdr you know fdr did a lot of good things but he also enforced the original fha system which basically said that if you were black or latino you couldn't be approved for home loans and when they what they did was they when they finally realized oh that's racist and during the civil rights movement they uh rescinded that law but they didn't ever like raise the property values of the of the houses that have been undervalued for 20, 30 years at that point. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, you know, properties owned by black and Latino families tend to still be lower property value than those owned by a white Ugh. family. So mm-hmm. there's number one. And then number two, the idea of look around in your suburbs. I mean, we in the Bay Area do kind of live in a bubble where we do have a very multiracial, yeah. like suburban lifestyle where like we don't see it as much I'm, i have a good chunk of friends who do not look just like me exactly <laughs> yes but there's still major many many parts of the country for example that where white people live with white people and they don't yeah. think about it because it's mm-hmm. it's a different kind of segregation and when they hear the yep. word segregation they get all like oh we're not segregation we're not yeah, racist no. because they think of southern racism right where yeah. you know those people had being living in an intimate like proximity to black communities, they had to come up with Jim Crow laws. Whereas we kind of got comfortable with the de facto segregation in the north. Sorry, this is like a social studies like <laughs> rehab I'm turning into right now. I forgive me. No, it's cool. But Finish no, I've got a way to circle oh. back. I got a way to no, circle me back. Me too. Me too. It's cool. Um, <laughs> so I mean, the point I'm trying to make is it's like it's the same thing. Like we we ignore these problems because we don't want to admit that we're part of the problem because of no. I don't want to say white guilt. It's literally it's it's shame is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's feeling well yeah. shit. I'm I'm just as bad as all these other people. Yes. So so Brian, now that you've seen that episode of Adam ruins everything. Yeah. How do you reconcile when you watch the movie The Burbs? Does it ruin it for you? <laughs> Does it ruin it for me? All they needed was a little bit more diversity in that town, and that fucking weird family would have never gotten away with none of that. No, I think, and I think the funny thing is that movie. No, it doesn't ruin it for me. But I also think of the movie. I'm that, joking, you piece of shit. I know you are. I know you are. <laughs> but I'm actually going to answer it seriously. <laughs> like, I also think about the movie Pleasantville. Oh yeah. Right, Ooh. Pleasantville directly challenges that exact yes. mindset without doing it. Unfortunately, the entire cast is white, but nevertheless, the entire cast is white, but they're all in black and white. <laughs> yeah. So white people in Technicolor are supposed to be the, I guess they are colored people. Right. And there's also, you know, I think about, I mean, I mentioned it before, like a year ago, but Zootopia. Zootopia yeah. does such a beautiful way of analogizing uh, foxes with, you know, racism and yeah. bunnies with sexism mm-hmm. and making those two, like the two narrative threads of, the, of this. But we make it about animals, so it's not such a touchy subject, you yeah. know. Disney did a really did a really good thing by doing it. And it's a yeah. sad to hear that they almost neutered the, the concept for that movie by making it, because they, they were worried about how that was going to be perceived. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I they've think... also been tackling a lot of issues for people, like mental health with Inside Out, with yeah. just, you know, gr- people growing up and the, the hormonal and psychological changes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we need Disney and Pixar to do that, because otherwise we'll have, I mean, go back and watch some of the movies that we watched as kids. The themes and the, and the, the morals behind them weren't always necessarily... Mm-hmm. 
just. Yeah, and especially considering that Disney himself was a flagrant racist, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, it's good to have the brand that he started <laughs> showing signs that they're not like its founder. Right, and know? that's, I think that's a good thing to bring up, and that on top of Sean's point about kind of adhering to this idea of tradition um, kind of brings us back full circle to, you know, if I want to go see the new Fantastic Beasts movie with Johnny Depp in it, there's a certain level of hypocrisy that I feel, but people who are going through things like film classes who are watching things like um, like Woody Allen movies or things like American Beauty, where do mm-hmm. we draw the line of what does or doesn't call us out as being hypocritical? Because the thing is, like, people have had issues with Woody Allen for a very long time. And there are, you know, it was mostly like some of his kids and, and things that were calling him out. But because he was seen as this kind of like echelon, upper echelon of a certain style of film that was, you know, kind of quirky, kind of, you know, very unique in its way. And because he'd had been awarded and lauded for it, um, he wasn't necessarily as heavily gone after as, you know, say someone like Johnny Depp or Kevin Spacey is now. And I'm not saying like, oh, yeah, you know, we should now treat Johnny Depp and Kevin Spacey like we treat Woody Allen. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it's just kind of like, well, where where do we draw that line? If we're teaching these films in class, do we recognize that they are problematic? Do we call them out? Do we then use that as another kind of lens to, when we look at things analytical in the same way that like, I'm an English major. Um, and one of the things that we look at is we look at things through particular lenses. And so we recognize when particular authors are racist or like, you know, when you read the N-word in things like Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, we recognize that that's not a thing that we do today. And it was problematic, but we're able to then kind of use that as as a lens to continue to learn from it. Now, things like that are a little bit different because a lot of those things are in like the public domain now um, and not yeah. as easy to be like consumed and entertained like movies do. But yeah. I think it's a worthy analogy it to make. Um, no, it is. The, the conclusion that I've come to for myself is I've seen stars fall and then rise again. And I think that deep down, most people believe that people are redeemable. So we see the public outcry on the internet, the negativity about a situation and the outrage is always the loudest. And that's what gets picked up by media sources. And that's what people believe is, this is how we feel about all Kevin Spacey's content from now on. But if you look at things like House of Cards on Netflix, or if you let's look at the NFL, for example, when all the domestic violence issues were happening in the NFL and were in the spotlight, the NFL still didn't see a single fucking viewer or drop in, in, in money that was coming in. People didn't stop watching the NFL because of it. Because deep down, I think everybody thinks everybody's redeemable and they don't think that it's worthwhile to stop watching something or stop being a fan of something or stop loving something because of the, the bad eggs. Well, there's Which, that, and I you know to to quote Harry Potter for a moment. Dumbledore talks about that that line, I believe, in the fourth or fifth movie, where he says, "You know, soon Harry, we're all going to be faced with the choice between what is right and what is easy." Yeah, you know, um, and you could make that argument. You could also make the argument that, that some people are making the easier choice because, well, mm-hmm. they don't want to sacrifice football because football. Um, well, I think it's that's something. I think it's it's interesting that you bring that up as an example, Sean, because there are people that you know were starting to either boycott games or boycott a particular player. Um, my, my example is Colin Kaepernick when he decided oh, yeah, to yeah. kneel during the national anthem. And that too, they still anthem. didn't lose any money. 
But he like, people he then, are still watching. But he then got like blacklisted. Like he's yep. not on any team or anything now. Meanwhile, nope. we have abusers and things that are still able to play. But then someone who decided to take it upon himself to do a silent protest and is mm-hmm. now kind of out in that community and, you know, walking the walk that he was talking the talk for yep. um, has now been blacklisted. And I think I, I something else I want to address in this is that a lot of this call out culture is still still has a very underlying racism behind it. There there are people whose careers have been like ruined by this because they are um, people of color. Um, so around the same time, um the an instance that happened around the same time in recent memory was the allegations against James Franco and the allegations against Aziz Ansari. Um, yeah. I saw way more coverage of people who were all over and like up Aziz Ansari's ass, and I was seeing like nothing about James Franco. See, I barely saw anything about Aziz, but I saw tons on James Franco. But maybe it's okay. just where I was looking. Maybe maybe it's a regional thing. Just or because just I think James Franco is yeah. a bigger star. No, that's that's fair. But I think, again, like, I guess the the interpretation I was getting was that, like, people were being a little bit quieter about James Franco because, yeah, I guess, you know, if you want to say he's a bigger star at the time, he, you know, was more in the media because of things for the disaster artist. He was you know, nominated for Golden Globe, potentially going to be nominated for an Oscar at the time. He wasn't. But, you know. We saw what happened there. But that I think that's why I saw so much more about Aziz Ansari. And it seemed like a lot of it was also that, like, he, as a person of color, mm-hmm. was getting more vilified than I saw, you know, people not of color, white men being vilified. Yeah. That makes it you make a very good point with that. And I also saw a lot of people just saying, well, hang on a minute with Aziz Ansari, because there was a lot of debate over whether those out right. that with that woman's. Right article about even it, qualifies as part of the Me yeah, Too and that movement. was that yeah, woman's it, article. Then did he have a bunch of women come out after that? Say they had similar. Um, like I think there, that one, that one. There's a lot of conversation around that. You know, we don't necessarily need to. Like, and go that's another one where it's like here, a, 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 there, we did talk about um, when we last touched on the abuse subject in in Hollywood. We talked about the difference between an isolated incident and a pattern of abuse and right. and yeah, abuse exactly. of power. A pathological, like, yeah, behavior, Franco, right? Franco has a whole lot of people, and a lot of these guys have a whole lot of people going like, this was systemic, this was horrible, and then you mm-hmm. have somebody come out against Aziz Ansari, but he gets burned harder because he ain't white. Yeah, and the funny yeah. thing is, New York Times just posted a, uh, an opinion this week about, well, th- everything we've done so far is a good start, now we have to stop making bad movies, movies that reinforce right. all this stuff. Um there is another argument that we haven't brought up here, which is that, you know, what we're doing when we're talking about a particular actor or a particular director is we're literally making that movie all about them. Right. Yep. And that's kind of, a, to me, that's a slap in the face of everybody of the hundreds of other people who produce a movie. Yet Woody Allen's a bit more difficult because he's the writer-director. So mm-hmm. he is more of the control of the thread of that movie, right? He has two pretty prominent roles. Johnny Depp, I mean... He's tried making movies as a director. Mm-hmm. He hasn't really succeeded all that much. He's never really written a script. He's an actor. He's a movie star. So, you know, you look at, like, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies or the Fantastic Beast movies. In my opinion, I look at those and I say, okay, yeah, I'm not happy with Johnny Depp right now either. Mm-hmm. But I also really, really like um, Eddie Redmayne. Yeah. And I also really like the other people who did good performances and all right. the millions of dollars of hard work that goes into that movie. Do I want to punish all those people? Who have nothing to do with that person's actions. Right. 
because that person decided to behave badly. You know, that's a really hard question. I mean, Woody Allen's easier, like I said, because he gets a higher percentage of the of the mm-hmm. the grosses from those movies. But I don't know. I mean, there is there ha- we have to define a line. Yeah, and know? I I think you yep. know the the defining line for me I think was like yes Johnny Depp being in it was problematic, but it was almost a little bit easier to swallow when it's just like okay, well this is J.K. Rowling's thing. Maybe she didn't have any sort of like control over who was cast. Blah 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 blah. But then she because she came out with this statement where she was like in full support of that. For me, like that was not a great day for me. It was kind of like you know when I was told Santa was not real. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'm going to edit that out. I'm going to beep that out. That beep. Okay. Uh, when you were told beep. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, we understand how traumatic that was. Yeah. So, um, it's it's that idea that, like, you still want to believe that there's, like, a certain level of, like, good in the world that when you do call out a problem, something will be done about it. Um, but then to have someone who is very much in control of the situation saying, like, no, nah, it's okay. We're going to let it go. It's cool. That's, I think, what hurts a lot of that community more than that person being on screen at all. Because, you know, it was just starting to bubble up a little bit around the time of the first one. So people were like, okay, well, why doesn't he just get recast? And then there was, you know, a lot of cry to to recast. Um, But, you know, instead, we had this very problematic statement from jk rowling herself and so i think that's what a lot of people have more issue with with fantastic beasts um but again it's also you know going back like yes i also really enjoy the pirates of the caribbean movies but now you look back at them and it's just kind of like uh like am i still allowed to enjoy this well that that does change the conversation because it's now more about jk rowling's endorsement and less about johnny depp and i get and i get that um at the same time i'm wondering and i don't mean to sound like this this is a rhetorical question but i don't mean it to sound snarky what happened to giving people benefit of the doubt, like in that conversation, right? Like, and that's we don't the thing, know- though, is like I said before, the benefit of the doubt has to go to the victim because of the way that the system was abused for so long that that is the and wh- whether or not that's true, that seems to be the overall way that people are looking at this. Like they immediately go, OK, we need to this guy's getting fired from everything and can't work on anything until we figure out whether or not yeah. any of this is true. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that does fundamentally fly in the face of due process, right? Mm-hmm. We, it does. No, yeah, no, innocent until presumed or innocent until proven guilty. And I'm not, again, I'm not defending either side here, but that, that's why I think where a lot of the more conservative-minded people take issue with this is like, mm-hmm. well, you're basically already saying this person is as good as guilty when we don't have the proof yet. Right. Um, we don't know if this person, and I think the thing is, yes, you have to give benefit of the doubt. You can't assume that the person is lying but you have to go back and say okay let's look at the evidence you know you Mm -hmm. don't shame the victim you don't shame the accuser either um and it's i think we have a really hard time doing that with both people you know right and what i meant more about by getting by benefit of the doubt is yes it should definitely go to the victim but i mean we don't know what happened with jk rowling like we don't know the the meeting she may have had it's very possible that she had a meeting with Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers said, "Look, you got to make this right because we can't recast him at this point." Yeah. His agent, for all we know, Johnny Depp's agent is like, uh, "If you're going to recast him, you need to pay us a shitload of money because you're breaking our contract." Mm-hmm. So they had to come up with some like peace compromise, and she had to come out with some statement yeah. that she may not, she may herself may not have been happy with. I, I think of it kind of similarly to how, if you see the movie The Queen, like how Queen Elizabeth II had to make this statement about Princess Diana, who she didn't. 
I mean, she didn't hate her anymore, but she didn't certainly didn't like her, and she didn't see the need to make an to make a statement about it because she was no longer a member of the royal family. Mm-hmm. But yet, nevertheless, because the people made a big stink about it, she eventually had to come out and yeah. say something that she didn't necessarily agree with, but she did it to please somebody. That's true. We now, don't know. Yeah. The, the other side of that, though, is that it's kind of inverse with J.K. Rowling because J.K. Rowling is appeasing a very small portion of the people. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's not a perfect analogy, but it's the closest thing I can come up with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, we're, we're seeing the technique of ostracize these people. It's almost the same element as the way the Amish community shuns people. They're like, put them over there. They don't exist anymore. Is that really the way that we fix this problem and get to a place where people are have healthier relationships with one another by doing that? Or do we help them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a difficult uh, question to ask because ultimately we've traded one for the other, right? Like I think about all these old culture, old world cultures who, if you broke tradition, you were disowned. You were as good as dead, yeah. right? No, you're dead to me. I have no son or whatever. And they, they mourn him like he's no longer alive. And we're kind of doing the same thing with the pe- with in a new world culture. Mm-hmm. So with the people who are behaving badly. Uh, I'm, but you know what? When I think about it, though, and it turns my heart, I think some of these people, like, I do think I'm, it, I have a very revenge-oriented mindset to, towards a lot of them. Like Harvey Weinstein. I'm like, please, just go put him on an island where and with just a bunch of cupcakes, and then he can't bother anybody. But is it really <laughs> going to help the problem? Right. Yeah. And Weinstein's actually a good example of somebody who he's gotten his just desserts. Now, he's been kicked out of the academy. He's mm-hmm. universally reviled. He's he's lost. I think he had to either they 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 bought him out or they sold out his share of Weinstein Company. I think Bob mm-hmm. Weinstein is the only person who's in charge of it now. And even then, we're not even sure if Weinstein Company is going to exist for much longer because of what's happened. They're um, changing the name. They are changing the name. Yeah, because right, yes. I think they they. If, I'm, if I could be wrong, but the last I checked, they hired a woman to take over the company. Yeah, I think it was like a group of several women bought yeah. out his share. Yeah, that's what it was. Okay. Which is awesome and beautifully ironic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. All so. about it. Um, but yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, I think this is a great just conversation to have. Because not only, you know, the three of us were able to sit here and have this conversation, and some of us may have different views on it, but we were able to be civil about it. And I feel like a lot of call-out culture, a lot of the problem with it is people get very defensive. They're very, you know, in their own head about what their side of the argument is. And I think just being able to engage in conversation about it is an incredibly valuable thing that will continue to move our culture forward. Um, Yeah, you may not necessarily change one another's minds, but to be able to just kind of sit and listen, I think, is an incredibly valuable thing, too. Yeah. You know what I think would be really cool? I think it'd be because a lot of this also is the enabling of social media mm-hmm. behind this and the instant gratification of, oh, you should just fucking, I just can't, my thumbs yeah. are so unfair. Only now are yeah. we realizing that we've been mainlined into a rat maze where you hit a button for <laughs> right. a sugar cube. Exactly. <laughs> but like what I would love to see Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the other social media apps do is build in an algorithm where the moment they see, and it's not like a server thing. It's like a localized thing where they run an algorithm that if they see a word, that's a name calling word put in, like when you're putting in a response, they're going to, something pops up and says, Hey, you know what? 
why don't you take an hour and <laughs> we're going to save it. this draft as post as a draft. Why don't you come back in an hour and see if you really want to post this? Because honestly, if we all just like took a break and just like took a couple deep breaths and just like didn't think about it for a little bit, we probably wouldn't be nearly as angry as we get over stupid shit over the and internet. We'll be all, I'm hoping that eventually we can integrate custom video ones where you can like put your own, like I could put mom's face into it and every time I'm about to put something, she pops up and she goes, is this the hill you want to die on? <laughs> she used to say, she says that shit all the time. Yeah. Oh my God. But there's a, there's a, there is a certain wisdom to that. There, yeah. You know, like we can exist, we can have civil discourse online. I know I've done it. You know, and there's also this new, uh, new system called Kialo, which is like, it's meant to be it is actually meant to be a debate platform. Oh, interesting. Uh, and it's it's designed to use reason and facts versus so emotion. Yeah. Oh, okay. And there's a That's set of solid. rules and time. There's a set of let out. very firmly yeah. set of rules. Hmm. And there's like a system for filtering out emotionally charged uh, responses. So. And I nice. think that's it. So much of this conversation rides on it being very emotionally charged. People having very deep-rooted feelings or deep-rooted experiences that then affect how they feel towards a particular situation. And all of those voices are valuable and they are so worth listening to if we are willing to do so. Yeah, totally. And I think that would honestly be, that's the responsible thing we need to be doing. Like. Mm-hmm. At this point, you know, Facebook's already dealing with a world of hurt with the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal. And yeah, which is a, it's a great time to be a guy who uh, does Facebook advertising for people. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great time to be a shareholder in social media or in tech in general because, boy, my Apple yeah. stock is not I'm actually, great right now. I have made a political ad for someone running for Congress on an independent ticket in Colorado. And I'm like, what a time to be doing this. <laughs> what a time to be alive. People love seeing this shit. Well, that's actually, I would actually love to hear that. So if someone who works in social media marketing, yes. what's that What's that backlash like? I'm just. Well, this is what I don't understand. Is And another thing that I saw when I would explain to people, when I told them about how awesome it was, the targeting abilities, and how Facebook doesn't only target you based on the interests and behaviors that you've laid out on Facebook, where you say that you like movies or you like snowboarding or whatever. It Facebook also uses your web history. Yeah, the Facebook with cookie cookies that they, to, they install to sell you when you're shit. not on Facebook. Yeah. So yeah, it's so- great. Business owners and people like politicians that want to get out there and get their message out to a certain amount of people love how robust it is. But when, but you know, when I explain to those people how that works, they go, "Wow, that's kind of scary." It's a little big brothery, you know. That we mm-hmm. and I'm like, yeah, but I mean, advertising's always been targeted based on demographics and psychographics and things, but it was way more broad. It was way more vague. You knew that this audience was on this channel watching this content at this time, roughly, but you didn't know that like you could hit somebody, like I've said before, and I use this as an example with my clients. I'm like, I'm a guy who is like obsessed with Batman and the Denver Broncos. And I see ads for like Bronco themed Batman shirts all the fucking time. (laughs) Yeah. Like they're making shit just for me. It, it, it does. As a privacy person, it does make you very nervous, too, because you get this whole, like, you literally, you you know that you weren't using this on Facebook. It was a conversation you were having with your SO at home. And then yes. the next day, you see an ad for exactly what you were talking about <laughs> yes. in your newsfeed. You're like, fucking Facebook has been recording my conversations. Yes. I know it. And if you give and them permission to use your microphone, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, they are literally going to be tapping it. And they targeted these people in the, you know, in what we're talking about when we're talking about the Russian ads and everything. 
they were targeting people based on their behaviors online of of being either super left wing or super right wing and delivered ads to each side making them making the gap and the distrust even further from the opposite end of of the room and yeah, so it seems to- it's like we the targeting for advertising for products and businesses I think is actually amazing. Don't you enjoy seeing ads for things that you'd actually be fucking interested in and not shit like not constant Cialis fucking commercials or Boniva <laughs> commercials and shit yeah. like that? Yeah. No, totally. But, but I, there needs to be a certain level of privacy when it comes to things that are political and I think going in there and cleaning up all of those targeting um the, the different kinds of targeting on there being like you can't target somebody based on certain things like politics and religion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in a world where, you know, unfortunately, one political party controls all three branches of government, we're not going to see those changes happen right away because it was those it was that party. Sorry, I am going to say the Republican Party at this point that was very adamant about getting the Citizens United case, you know, ruled the way it did. Right. One swing vote changed campaign finance reform that meant some Republicans like John McCain had spent decades fighting for to keep things fair and balanced because they knew that. If you didn't have that, you get what we're having right now. You know, I'm fairly convinced that Donald Trump would not have been elected president if Citizens United mm. uh, had been ruled the way it did. And, you know, if we can't get the government to go and make those changes, you can get tech companies who have an amazing amount of power to be responsible, at least, and do that kind of stuff, at least, and say, you know, we should not advertise based on political profiles anymore because clearly we've created a monster we've created a huge monster at this point i just want to get the facebook ads like sean is getting like i like harry potter and hp lovecraft i want an ad for like a t-shirt that's like my patronus is cthulhu but i get really weird ads for like (laughs) i get i get really weird ads for like selling my eggs and being a surrogate mom and i don't know why i'm getting those and i'm just like apparently facebook thinks i'm a young fertile female worthy of carrying on the legacy of america or something and i'm just like uh wait no i want the cool t-shirt ads please <laughs> yeah. facebook if you're listening please get those ads off of my profile they're creeping me out right and the th- and the thing is you do have control over that you can actually look at your a good chunk of your profile now of what they've used to analyze you for. Oh, okay. And you can say, you know, I don't want them to use this. I don't want them to see this. I don't want you them to can. see this. Yes. Yeah, you can do that. But most people don't know how and they don't make yeah. it easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do no. give you instructions, but they don't really make it easy for you to find that information. No, and but and most honestly, most people that are running business pages and don't know what the hell they're doing, they don't even know how to like assign page roles. Do you know I spend a week sometimes ex- trying to explain and get people to let my company answer the like request to run their page. <laughs> yeah. It, like they don't, yeah. people don't know how to do things on there, but yeah, no, I still totally. think that the, I think that Facebook advertising, it's still, and because they also deliver to Instagram because Instagram, you can't put links in any of the content. So the only way that you could do that is to put up an advertisement. I bought a couple things this Christmas during the Christmas season or sorry, the holiday season advertisements for little, especially nerd related gifts and things like that. Uh, like even though I was a customer, I still saw ads for loot crate all the time on Instagram where you could just click through and they had an awesome landing page where you could just, it just led you to easily buy that thing without going through Mm -hmm. a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. It's great for businesses, but it shouldn't be manipulated the way that it's been manipulated. And 
I suggest everybody go and learn. You can learn anything from YouTube videos. If you don't understand how to figure out which metrics you're being advertised based on, go in there, watch a YouTube video about how to do it, and then just remove all the things that you wish to be left just for yourself. Yeah, And maybe your friends. And I think, like, at the end of the day, that's a great tie-in to, like, the theme of our episode is just, like, yes, Facebook and social media and all of these things are super problematic, but we're not as willing to admit that those things are problematic when, as opposed to admitting other things like actors and movies and things are problematic. Like, everything you just said shows how toxic, you know, from the conversations people engage in on social media to how social media kind of interacts with and, you know, takes information from from and about us to then advertise and things. That's super problematic. But I know a lot fewer people who would say, well, I'm going to get off Facebook because I don't like this invasion of my privacy. I know way more people that would say, I'm going to boycott this movie for this particular actor. And then they're going to talk about how they're going to boycott that movie on social media. Yeah. So I I think it's just, an, it's just a thought, uh, you know, food for thought of you know, examining what we find value in in our lives and kind of then how how we adjust our viewing of those things and our consumption of those things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I know this, this episode feels like it went all over the place, but actually what I really think we did is we looked at this problem of call-out culture mm-hmm. from several different angles, and I actually really appreciate that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, did some a little different for you listeners today. Yeah, but yeah, you know, sorry. No, but this is <laughs> us. You're, or you're welcome. <laughs> but you know what? No, I'm sorry. This is us geeking the fuck out. But it's geeking the fuck out in a, a truly intelligent way. Not to say that like we can't intelligently talk about Thor. But I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, there's th- th- there's a place for nostalgia geeking out, and there's a mm-hmm. place for academically geeking out, which is what we just kind of did, I think. Right. For the last and I, hour. I think this is also an opportune moment for our listeners to reach out to us too. Like, how do you feel about this idea of call out culture? How do you feel about consuming things that maybe have now been revealed as being problematic you know Mm -hmm. maybe people have told stories about someone who was your favorite actor whether it be kevin spacey or whether it be johnny depp or whether it be you know a weinstein film that you really enjoyed but you know what what do you do now about it and so i think that's that's kind of an opportune moment for y'all to reach out to us too and and let us know absolutely i would love to hear people engage with us about this conversation and since we're a little light on feedback for this episode uh, or actually for this whole round of recordings uh sean why don't you tell our listeners how can they engage with us and become a feedbacker you can go to our website nerdonomy.com and you can click on that talk to us button which will send you to a uh, contact form that will email all of us or you can hit us up on social media we have a facebook page that's the one that we're the most active on or you can hit us up on twitter and then if you're only an instagram person you can reach out to us there but honestly we don't look at it that much and we're terrible yeah, we're all terrible people. Um, we all suck. Hit That's up. the lesson of the day. We are all terrible people. Hit us up on we that are problematic all social media. Is the episode title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's true, very much so. And it's also a very Catholic thing to say. Like, we should almost, I feel like I should be flagellating myself as to say that. Yes. We are all terrible people. <laughs> we are all oh, terrible God. people. 
You can't see, but I'm whipping myself with an imaginary whip right now. Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting thing to see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And thank you, Sean. But, you know, I also think the most important thing you can do, though, is spread the word of nerd uh, like the bird turd, as we've said before. Oh, yeah, someone else did it. Finally. God, I'm waiting. <laughs> and when you guys um, do that in the other episodes, nobody does a bukkake when I'm not there. And it always well, yeah. I know. Well, sometimes Roxy does it. So, Gina, you're the it. second in command for Bacox. I know. So, well, sometimes Roxy does it, too, and she hasn't been here. And we miss you, Roxy. Please come back. We need a real adult. Baby, yeah. come back! Yeah, she'll be back soon, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but I'm very serious about that. Don't just tell your friends, family, clergymen, maybe not clergymen, about <laughs> our podcast. Tell your lawyer. Tell, but don't just do that. If you see our post on the social media, responsibly share and say how this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And yes, if you're thinking about f- calling us out, don't. Um, do lightly illegal shit too. Write nerdonomy.com like with a sharpie on the inside of shitty bathroom stall doors. <laughs> Only shitty ones. Like leave it to truck stops, punk rock clubs, places where the shit it's all fucked up anyway. If just you go live ahead and- yeah, particularly if you live in and around Seattle, like do that. Like seriously, <laughs> Portland. Like, like if you're like in like if you find like a, a rest stop near SeaTac, maybe like mm-hmm. you know somewhere that's like on the way to culture. Not to say, I'm oh, sorry, that's mean. SeaTac has culture, um, but just like <laughs> like if you're somewhere like in there, put it there. Seriously, like Nernotomy does not enforce vandalism or encourage vandalism. Please, please don't do that. And please post responsibly. Yes. If you're in the Air Force, spell out nerdonomy in skywriting. Uh, what else could people do? Again. Throw, just w- once a day, throw an old, like one of those Mexican glass Coke bottles. You know, the Coke that tastes way better than regular Coke. Because it's got that cane Put a sugar. note a, with like a little thing about one episode in and throw it into the ocean every day. Like, let's let's just cover all the nerd things at this moment. So first of all, so we've covered that. We've got Westerosi Raven. Send a Westerosi Raven, right? Send me a Harry Potter owl because exactly. I will yep. flip the fuck out over that shit. Right. Uh, write it in the sky with a broomstick a la Surrender Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Yep. <laughs> um, I don't know. Make a fucking nerdonomy crop circle. Uh, yes! That, would, that shit would be amazing. And I just listened to a different podcast talk about aliens. So... Uh, you know, there's there's options. There's options. Get an ergonomy tattoo on your face. <laughs> that's a little extreme. And just yeah, and if you do it, a little extreme. That's a lot extreme. But I think we're worth it. Yeah, but don't put it on your forehead. Seriously, we've seen what happens when people put symbols on their forehead. It doesn't end well. No. So, um, uh, you know what, guys? We're having a lot of fun, but we do have to adult and get on with our lives. So, uh, we have to get out of here. But until we meet again. Stay nerdy. Tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Bye. Peace. Later. And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you shouldn't say during completely consensual, mutually agreed upon, not quite rough, but not quite too delicate sex. She's not your friend. She's someone you use to feel better about yourself.